The reading is from Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. And let's pray as we listen today. Father, thank you for your precious word. By your spirit, come now and help it to live for us today. Would you speak to each one of us here? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nicola. Uh, I've got three uh, short points today, um, which are a vision, humility, and courage. Uh, to be honest, it feels like a lot of courage to get up and speak after yesterday's sermon. Um, I was impressed by the people who managed it this morning, Ruth and Mike, well done. Uh, but wasn't that amazing? Uh, sort of sense of the whole country coming alive and hope in the nation. And it's interesting already the kickback on social media where people are going, oh, he spoke for three minutes too long or all this sort of thing. And we live in an era when even when someone does something magnificently well and with a heart clearly overflowing full of love, there will always be someone ready to knock them down, put them back in their place, say, go away, we don't need you over here, take your American ideas <laughs> and stick them where they came from because uh, we're quite happy, thank you very much. We live in an era, don't we, where proclaiming the Christian gospel is not without cost. It may not be the cost that St. Alban had, uh, where he was martyred before he could even be baptized. Hopefully, Laura, you'll make it to the baptism uh, before someone comes in. Uh, it may not be that level of uh, courage that we need. But nevertheless, we do need courage in our day-to-day -day conversations, in our workplaces, in our families, to say what we've been doing between 6 and 7.30 on a Sunday evening. Because it's not straightforward out there, and the tide has to some extent turned. But I'm here to say it hasn't turned too much or too far. In some ways, what's disappeared is some of the stuff that kept people away from Jesus all the time. Are you familiar with the smallpox uh, vaccination? I think the idea is that you vaccinate someone with a minor disease, don't you, chickenpox or something, and it stops you catching smallpox. <laughs> and for many years, the church in England has done its best to be a vaccination <laughs> against the religion of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and it has worked to a great degree in the many lives. And in many ways, that was a simpler time. And what you could do was you could hope that by osmosis, someone would make the step from being sort of involved in the church to suddenly having one of those lightning moments. Of course, sometimes they took a good while to come. John Wesley was ordained in his 20s, was a great extremist uh, in his passion for the Lord. He did all sorts of things, fasted more, had more spiritual disciplines than probably you or I collectively will ever manage together. But it wasn't until May the 24th, 1738, 13 years after his ordination into the Church of England, 
that his heart was strangely warmed after failing as a missionary overseas and coming home a wreck. His heart was strangely warmed when he opened the scriptures and read in Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans about being justified, made right by God, by having faith alone in the grace of God through Jesus. And his heart warmed up and he came alive. But today, many people know very little about Jesus. When you do surveys of school-aged children and ask them what Easter is about, chocolate features very high, bunnies feature very high, and the cross of Jesus Christ barely features at all. We're living in what they call a post-Christian age. And friends, that provides a bounty of opportunities for us here in W4, and I think we should begin to celebrate that from here on in. Because what's happening in the buildings that we have here, what's going on is that God is drawing people into something that surprises them. Whether it's a worship service like tonight, or you're trying to make sense of uh, whether you like the guitar stuff or not, or the organ stuff or not, or whether it's the playgroups that you saw on the screens at the beginning of the service, or the cafe, or the outreach projects, or the shelter projects, and people volunteering and coming in, or to the great ball that we had last night, where 150 people sat and dined and enjoyed themselves, or the wedding reception we had just a couple of weeks ago, where people were drinking away, and yet no one got so drunk that the church was made a mess of. It was a remarkable grace of God. And when people come in, what they do is they tell me what they told me on the door last night. They said, there's a strange atmosphere. I really like it. I feel at peace here. What's going on? It's an extraordinary thing watching people begin to warm up to true religion as opposed to the inoculation which we sold them for a good while. And God in Jesus Christ is going to win. We've read the end of the book and we know that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead and of his kingdom there will be no end. So there is plenty of vision for this place, for this space, for the three buildings God's given us and all our homes and all our workplaces, our lives, our children, our young people, the minster. There's plenty of vision. And you might be surprised that Psalm 131 was the psalm that I turn to this evening of all the parts of Scripture. It takes me back to uh, Bishop Paul Williams when he stood here seven or so years ago when we came uh, to minister here. And one of his lines was, you should have a great vision here. And his next line was, you should try and have an uncommon level of humility. Um, and uh, that, as you Simon, our church wardens, laughing at me because he's uh, guessing that doesn't come naturally to me, I think, in the corner. This psalm just falls open in my Bible time and time again. And it has this glorious line, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I don't know about you, but I do that all the time. Uh, I've avoided a subscription to the Church of England newspaper, the Church Times, until last weekend. And the reason I avoid it is because I get concerned about everything going off all over the place that isn't my problem. <laughs> and God says, just focus on what I've given you to do, lad. And actually here, for us, in this next phase of ministry, what we need to know is just focus on what God's given us to do. Humility, as you know, is defined not thinking 
um, of yourself less, but thinking less often of yourself. It's not we're rubbish, we're terrible, we can't do it. It's he is the Lord and he reigns on high. He is the Lord. He's the hope. He's the glory. And he is here for the people on the fair behind us, for the people you'll see tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock. He is here and he is active and moving. And you'll hear some of Laura's story, I'm sure, a bit later on in the service of how God changes lives. We have to operate in humility to give him the space to come in. The one big picture that we had before we came here was of an enormous throne in this space here and Jesus on the throne. And that is the heart of this church. People sometimes say as different ministers come and go from our midst and there's been a catalogue of fantastic people who have come and gone over the last few years, including Mr. Barber there, um, but Keir Shreves, uh, Andy Johnson, and today uh, Mike and Michelle. Um, amazing people who have come, grown, gathered people, and now we give them away. Wonderful people. They often say, how are you going to replace the leader of the church? Uh, the situation's not vacant. <laughs> He's still on his throne. He's still ruling. He's still reigning. And it's only when he's in charge that we've got any hope of seeing the kingdom of Jesus expanding. Situation not vacant, but I'm sure he's going to raise up all sorts of wonderful ministers here and in the future. And tonight we'll celebrate nine, well, even 13 of those who have been raised up as well along the way. We have to have a great humility. And part of the humility says that, yes, Jesus, you are enough for us. You are enough for us. I mean, when we lost a curate as good-looking as Keir Shreves, you could have thought the whole church would fall apart overnight. But it turns out that it's in Jesus that we put our hope, not in the, uh, the smile of the curate. And we'll test that again next year with Dennis. Um, <laughs> you have to test my theory, see if it still holds. But the final thing we need is courage. I was uh, reading in Acts 20, Paul's uh, words to uh, the Ephesians as he said goodbye to them. And he lived in an era where when you're saying goodbye, you were saying goodbye. He might never have seen them again. And of course, Mike, we intend to see uh, many times in the future. But he was saying, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I may be killed along the way. I've uh, served the Lord with great humility and with tears. I was tested by plots. But I'm compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, even though I'm warned by the Spirit that there will be hardships and prison ahead of me. But I consider my life worth nothing if only I can finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Next weekend in church, we have a visiting speaker who's going to be expounding the gospel to us uh, in his mid-80s, bless him, R.T. Kendall. Um, I'm told by his friends that it's a, it's a strain for him sometimes to stand up and speak for as long as he does. So uh, bring your notebooks with you. <laughs> um, but yet he has the power to go on proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And that is our task as well, to courageously proclaim the gospel. And for those of you being commissioned tonight as members of the Order of St. Albans, that is your task within the framework of up in and out seeking God, blessing the church, 
but going out to the community in all sorts of incredible ways, in your workplace, your life place, social activities, and through church mission, and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. That's what sets people free. That's what changes lives. It may go out of fashion, but it will never go out of fashion in eternity. In eternity, every single knee will bow down before the Lamb who was slain, before the Lord Jesus, and they will say with one voice, worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is Jesus. Every person you've ever met will one day be on their knees worshipping him. Let's make sure it's a pleasant experience for them when they get there. Friends, you're receiving a great commission tonight, and everyone in this building will have the chance to be commissioned as we turn to the baptismal font and offer people the chance to renew their baptismal vows. We have a great calling. We have a great message. We have a great opportunity in humility to press on doing what God's called us to what Mike and many others have shown us the way to do, we will carry on until his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's uh, pray as we sit the Lord's Prayer together in whichever words are most familiar to us and join in. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Any mention of St. Albans sends a little shiver up and down my spine, because... Um, Nearly 41 years ago, that's where I was ordained. And I was a, a child of that diocese, and I was an ordinand of that diocese, and I had my first curacy in that diocese. So I'm, I'm very much a, a sort of St. Alban freak, really. <laughs> and so the, the Order of St. Alban and those who are about to, to be commissioned into it and join it, that is something that uh, obviously I take a, a very close interest in. If you uh, drive anti-clockwise round the M25, just after the exit for the A1, you start to go up a very long incline near South Mims. And when you bridge, when you go over the, the top of that incline, you see Hertfordshire laid out in all its splendor before you. And sticking out, very visible in its landscape, is the Cathedral Church of St. Alban. Here is a St. Alban. This is why we have an order of St. Alban now in this parish. We have a church of St. Alban, a church that was what I've often heard some churches described as the empty palace of a long-forgotten king. Mm. That's what St. Alban Chiswick was like very recently. But now that church is not the empty palace of a long-forgotten king, but it is a sacrament in stone and brick of Christ's presence among his people once again. Mm. It is a wounded building, 
it's been treated unmercifully by those that despoiled it and took all its finery from within it. And it will always bear its scars, but there's something very significant in that. And St. Alban within this parish is again becoming a place of healing and a place of welcome and a place of community, that kind of community which the spirit creates, a subversive community, a community turning this world upside down. Mike and Michelle, you guys have been extraordinary, um, wonderful, loyal, loving, caring, um, visionary, courageous, um, everything that I was talking about tonight, you've embodied through and through. Uh, we love you, we bless you, we're grateful for you. We're looking forward to your ministry in the future. You're always welcome back, and we, we love you as part of our extended family. And as we spread out to Dorset, the love of Christ Church W4, um, may God keep rebounding it back to you and blessing you again and again through long ministries and in many ways. Amen. <laughs> well, love you, mate. But let's give you guys the microphone. You, you... Oh, there's, there's so much to um, thank you all for. Um, I hope it um, sums it up a, a little bit just to say you've been such an amazing family to us over the last four years. You, you took us in um, to your family four years ago and, and you've just been such an amazing family. And um, for Ava and Joy, it's been such a... Um, a positive and incredible journey in, in, in um, time in their journey of faith um, and, and for Leo an amazing introduction to his journey of faith and um, it's through you um, nurturing that in them and, and helping with that and, and just loving them and, and uh, through that showing God's love to them so um, I'm just so thankful for that. It's taken four years for me to come into land, but it's not far off now. You can hold the champagne for a little longer, but not much longer. Um, this is such a joy. Um, this is an extraordinary church, an unbelievable community led by an extraordinary couple in the Moyes. Can we give them a round of applause? Um, it has been an extraordinary privilege, one of the great privileges of, of my life, let alone my ministry, to be part of the team here and to play some small part in what God's been doing in this place. And it, it, it's, been, it's been extraordinary. And um, I'm so grateful to you all. And I really am going to try, I'm going to keep it together. And um, for all the reasons that Michelle said, and um, because of all that you honestly have taught me and ministered to me, and I've said that to one or two of you today. And um, so thank you. And if I, um, I had the great privilege of preaching uh, again this morning at, at St. Albans, one of the things that, that came to mind even as I was speaking, what's already happened at St. Albans um, has been extraordinary. What's happening in this church is extraordinary, as I said. Um, God's hand is on the leadership and on all of you in this church. But um, at St. Albans, there's, um, 
It's been an amazing thing, amazing time, but there's a sense of unfinished business as well. And I was at, um, I was in my exit interview with um, Peter Williams. Where's Peter? Where's Peter? In the back. Our wonderful church warden, one of them was Simon. And uh, I was in that exit interview with him and Richard. And uh, Richard said something which really struck a chord and struck some truth, I'm sad to say, in a sense. And, um, and he sort of said in passing to Peter, he said, you know, if, um, if what we were fundraising for at the moment was um, the shelter project, a homeless shelter or something like that, we'd already have it fully funded. Because it's a prayer chapel, we haven't. As he said that, there was a sadness in me, but it rang true. And I thought, I think he's right. And how heartbreaking is that? We need to understand that if we want to see a lot more people like Laura changed by the gospel, and if we want to see this community transformed, we need to be a people of prayer. Anyone who's read the scriptures or who's studied church history knows that power The power of the church, the power of the saints is in prayer. Lest we think it's us that deserve any glory. I love what this church does with the shelter project. I love what it does with the meeting place. I love what it does midweek with all the toddler clubs. We had loads of them from Friday lunch club and from Sunbeams over in St. Albans just now. um, Because they've been welcomed into the community. They've been warmed by the atmosphere there and they've drawn closer to Jesus in the process. I love all of that. We need to keep doing that. But if we don't pray, it's a bit like, um, this is the picture I had of it, it's a bit like you've got a big fire burning and a spark flies out of the fire and it lands on a leaf and it sets the leaf alight and we all go, woo! And we forget about the fire. The fire is prayer. We fan that fire that all of these things come from through our prayers. And if we stop praying, the fire will die down. And we won't see these sparks and these life and everything else carrying on happening. This church is brilliant at drawing a crowd. And it has seen many people saved as they've encountered Jesus, as they've done it. But if we don't prioritize prayer... We won't see the power of God break into this community as you and I long that it will. And so I want to urge you again as I leave um, for the time being to get that chapel built. The passage that Richard, um, God willing, the passage that Richard uh, mentioned is in 2 Chronicles um, chapter 5. It goes through till 7. I know it well. And there's a verse in chapter 7 at the end, which has long stirred me um, since prayer meetings back at HTB back in the day. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. It's really clear. Please don't take this as a discouragement because I love you dearly. And you pray wholeheartedly, so many of you, and none of what's been possible in the last four years would have been possible without your prayers and without your generosity, without your love. You're going great. You're brilliant. I love you. But don't lose that priority of prayer. It would be so foolish to lose that priority of prayer. It comes first.
<laughs> uh, Laura, come on, come on the stage. Um, well, this is an unexpected ending to your day, isn't it? Um, do you want to tell us what happened this morning? Um, well, at the service today, um, Richard um, was had an open offer, really, to anybody who wanted to be baptised. And I just felt a conviction that it was the right time. It, it, was, it was just... And I was like, you can't miss this opportunity. This is it's just what I've been called that I needed to be doing today. Mm. And so I thought, I have to take this opportunity um, today to be mm. baptised. And, and tell us some of the story, how you came to be part of St Albans Congregation and, and the Mission Hall and so forth. Um, well, I... As soon as I moved to Chiswick, with I had a small child, a small daughter, and was pregnant, and um, started going to Little Fishers, which literally is around the corner, um, uh, Mission Hall, um, with Andrea um, leading it. And um, when Andrea moved on, I just felt so totally welcomed. Um, and I'm st- I was even out with friends on Friday who I met literally in those first two sessions that we went. Um, and then I continued to take it on and um, with Tom and Kate um, and Emma, as now Marie, who've all mm. um, continued. And I, I've just felt more and more drawn to coming to St. Albans. So we started coming two years ago, I think, um, with the children, um, partly because of my middle daughter, who um, she's always asking questions. <laughs> And she came up one Saturday morning about five o'clock with her Bible. And she's like, and she literally banged it on my head <laughs> and went, Mummy, you need to read this to me. You need, I, I want you to start from the beginning. And I was just like, I was, that was just such a call for um, me to come. And I was, I was like, well, we have to go. You know, like, she has way more questions than I have the answers to as well. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we've been coming and supported by the St. Albans family as well. Mm. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's how I happen to be here today. Mm. 